me. All right. Well, here we are. Wow. We have, you know what I like about this right now is Tell I am me. above you. Oh. <laughs> She's so high. I'm looking high down at me. you. She's so lonely. Here's the thing. I'm higher than Quinn, but she's more comfortable than me. And nobody's actually higher than me because I'm super stoned. JK, but I I am really tired. So it's the same. It's like the same as I had a little bit of a gummy last night and I went to a delicious restaurant. And let me tell you, what a fun experience that is. I mean. Is there anything better than getting a little high and having a lot of food? Yeah, just lying on the couch eating a burrito is better than that. Why didn't you eat? Because you just had someone who just had a burrito. You were not lying on the couch, which is begs the question, why why didn't you? If that's, If there's nothing better than that. Why did you strip yourself of that joy? I guess because Ko was home from school today and I was trying to set a good example for not eating in the living room. Can we, can you, uh, can you tell the dear readers about what's going on today? Well, Ko's home from school. He got in bed with me this morning and said, my stomach hurts and I don't want to go to school. And I was like trying to sniff out if it was a wannabe with mom lie. And I couldn't actually figure it out like I was like go on and he's like I think you need to stop packing me those Laura bars they're giving me belly aches and I was like really and he's like yeah they have too many chocolate chips in them I was like interesting so I was like okay wait Um, what he just he just mm -hmm. hurt his relationship with chocolate yeah so I was like he's genuine because like what child would limit their sugar also like it probably is not the chocolate it's probably the massive amount of dates that is causing him a lot of dates gas for you anyway dates are good for you but like too much fiber can also for that little body right cause havoc i was like koa are you actually sick wait quinn before yawn say that again without (laughs) yawn (laughs) got two are you guys bored of us i think is this our story <laughs> I was speaking well. So, um, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, so I was trying to sniff out if he was telling the truth or not. And I really, really honestly couldn't, but I felt like I felt really tired and emotionally raw because I mm. stayed up late last night with friends. WWE raw for sure. So I was like, okay, I guess you can stay home. And then I was like, Koei, you know, like, we can't just have unlimited absences. Like, I'm really nervous that I've opened up a Pandora's box of Koa is going to tell me he's sick every day and it's going to be a fight because he would rather be home with me. And then I, I've i been like, we don't do anything fun when we're at home. We just yeah. work while you're at school. And I feel like I did lie down with him just now and for 20 minutes look at Instagram with him. And so I think Which I have like, like a lot of questions of the Instagram, but like I think he's like you're lying. Like it is really fun to be home. You watch Instagram. I let him like make his party bags for his birthday party. I let him stuff a piñata. I'm making a big mistake actually. Now that big I mistake. say it all, I should big, have had huge. him like clean the kitchen. Yeah, like what? Cuz like are you giving him screen time right now? No. No. Get that, and that's hard because it's a punishment for you. It is. But I knew if he got screen time, we're really, we're fucked. Like then he, every we're day out. is going to be like, I can't go to school. But oh, but then later I was like, I think you're fine. Like you don't seem sick. And he was like, 
And I was like, I think we should go to school just late. And this was like a few hours ago. And he said, mom, there's just so much to do with being a first grader and I'm taking karate now. And there's just so much to do. I just need a break. And that really got to me. So I was like, okay. Like I actually get it. (laughs) I get it. I mean, there was, there's, I've been seeing people like talking about mental health days Mm -hmm. from like a young. And I think like, you know, I think there's a world to say, Hey, like once a semester or like however his little brain can like encapsulates like how often he can get a mental health day I mean Mm -hmm. adults need mental health days you know and I think you know there's a lot of is going every day I mean it's a lot for their little bodies you know like it's a lot mental health day in Tarabang in Tarabang mental health day you know yeah, we love it in Tarabang here in this household. Quinn, I can't believe we're in the same room. This feels wild. Um, do you want to hear a story? Um, is it like for our show or like? It's a story about, so you know how I work for a lot of different um, companies that do immersive sort of puzzly things? Yes. So, okay. One <laughs> what of if them I did... said no? I had no idea. I had no idea. It's I had a moment. I did have my a moment. I have to say I had a moment when I was there that I had a friend had told me something very serious and I totally forgot and I have been feeling like absolute hot garbage since then because yeah. it was like a really bad it was a bad thing to forget it was a very bad thing to forget and I've been feeling like absolute hot shit garbage and so in that moment of me jokingly being like could you imagine if I didn't know what was going on in your life and I was like oh because I lived that experience IRL and um, too soon too soon it was too soon for me <laughs> to make that joke because it gave me flashbacks to a time where I wasn't making that joke. And I, Quinn saw the, I think you saw the blood rush out of my face. I did indeed. In that moment. And um, I I have, I've, Crow is needing to, is is being prepared, is, I'm, be, I'm eating Crow. Yeah. I'm eating it slowly. <laughs> so that's where that's at. Anyway, moving on. Somebody do- get this woman a bath bomb. <laughs> you were just watching some Instagram stories about Some that. bath bomb content. <laughs> No, it's really good. Um, um, I have to tell you something. By the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepily. That's Carrie Abula. And that's Quinlan Posner. And I have a note from a dear reader, one of our Patreons. Oh, fun. Um, her name is Kathy, and she is my mom. And she called me, and she was like, Carrie. Long-time non-listener. Long-time non-listener. Um, she's going to get so resentful when she does listen to this one because she called me, and she was like, Carrie, I updated my credit card information and I and I have not gotten a song and I'm like mom we didn't get a notification that you're a new Patreon because basically she took like a year off of Patreon because her credit card had to be changed blah 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 um let me give you the credit card information it is (laughs) (laughs) expiration let's get the expiration the zip code um and so she was like well I'm getting charged so I want a song and I go, Mom, I think we, I, I haven't told her yet, but I wanted to out her on this podcast and maybe give her a song, give, give the people she what she really wants. she really a Patreon subscriber? She is. I checked. Okay. Because As long as she's active. Because I'm not singing no free fucking songs. <laughs> Kathy. Well, the best part is she was a Patreon subscriber like a year ago and then she updated. And so she thinks that like because she updated, she's now putting money in. She wants a song even though she's not technically a new one. And I go, I'm sure we've sang her a song at some point, but I can't remember when. I'm sure. I can't remember when because we don't record when we do it. We just hope to God we get them all in. So I guess here we go. 
Kathy. Kathy. <laughs> Kathy is Kathy, my mom. Kathy, Kathy. She is on Kathy, Patreon. Kathy, Kathy. She Kathy, wants a freaking Kathy, song. Kathy. And Kathy, here we Kathy, are all wrong. Kathy, it's Kathy, my mom. She's a Patreon. We have to sing a song because she guilted me so. Thank you so much for the Catholic guilt. My mom's name is Kathy. Chatty, chatty, Kathy. Chatty, chatty, Kathy. My mom's name is Kathy. Thank Woo! you, mom. That was so good. Are you happy? Yeah, you better be happy. Are you happy? That, Will you accept me back home? Speaking of happy, our next uh, song is for someone named Joy. Joy? Yeah. Joy, joy, joy. Joy, joy to the world. You joined Patreon. You opened your wallet. Joy, joy, joy. Joy, 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 joy. Joy, 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 joy. <laughs> If you say joy enough, it feels pretty weird in your mouth. Getting some weird like lockjaw stuff going on. What about it does feel that way? Betsy J. What if it's her? No, it's not. Betsy J, Betsy J, Betsy J. Hey, 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 Betsy J. Hey, 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 no way, no way, hey, hey, no way, no way, no way, yay, yay, Betsy J. Next. These songs are getting longer and we need to chill. We need to cool our jets. Well, speaking of someone that was an old Patreon subscriber, left and then came back. Bring it on. That is allowed. My mom's not. Um, is all the way tennis player from Hawaii, Donna. <gasps> Donna! 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 You're my Donna. You're my Donna. You, you are, are a Donna. Donna because you're my Donna, Donna in Hawaii. Playing tennis with Ray Dell all the time. We Having love lunch love. at Tommy Bahamas because that's fine. Donna, Donna, Madonna, you're... My friend, Donna, Donna. You can this stop that. I think it needs to, to end. end. Donna. Okay, next one. All right, this is the last one today, and it is a $10 Patreon, so it needs to be like <gasps> a so solidly good. Okay. really good song. Okay, okay? so like stretch, maybe do some toe taps. Okay, it is. It is stretched. The instrument is ready for Leah M. Leah M. Leah M. Leah M. Let's go, Leah. Leah. our friend. We love you, Leah M. And that's the end. That was too short. Shit. Leah, Leah, you gave us $10. Leah, Leah. And now we're going to holler. your name from the rooftop? Leah M. Leah M. This song will never end. But it did just now. Quinn loves an epilogue to a song. Yeah. Yep. You think the song's going to end, and Quinn says, no, no, no. Let's why, keep going. Why should it? Why stop? Why stop here? I'm open to all possibilities. She really is. Um, Wait, did I? Okay, I have to tell you before I tell my story. Y'all, oh, are you first? Mm-hmm. Great. Y'all, Y'all, I just did a hero's journey yesterday in trying to get a pap schmear. I'm Ugh. trying. Okay, I, 
everybody, just a reminder, go to your yearly checkups. I sent this text to my family. May I read to you what I said? Thank you so much. If anyone tells me they think our healthcare system is working well, I would love to gift them the experience I had of trying to find a doctor that is covered under my insurance that can see me before 2024 and can handle women's healthcare. I want to give a shout out to Planned Parenthood who helped me the most effectively. I am seeing them beep. You don't even know when I'm getting my badge swabbed and they are covered by my insurance. Truly, our system is an absolute joke. Love you all. So just to be clear, you beeped the date, yeah. but you said swab, badge swab. Yeah. Okay. No, you don't I need just... to know it's October 18th. Shit. Ah. I did it. Ah. People are going to be looking for you in this town. Yeah. People are going to be going to the nearest Planned Parenthood on October to 18th. You're going to see me. Ipama. Legs up Bam. in some stirrups. Because I have to get, um, I have to get, it's been my 10 years since I've had my IUD and there's something howling and it's not my IUD, but I got to get my IUD replaced. And I'm going to tell you right now, Mm -hmm. I'm terrified. Really? What do you mean? Really? Don't look at me like that. I would just be put out. Like I'm like, it hurts. You can't put out. You can't be put out. Uh, no, no. I mean, I would be put out like disappointed, like sad that I have to. That's the picture I've been looking for. Oh, my God. Sorry. Just Wait, what? Do you see the picture up there? Yeah, that like little I... cute guy. Yes. We've been looking for that. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so distracted. Um, what I was so here's the thing. I'd just be terrified. bummed out. But why are you scared? Because I have to get it out and then get a new one in. And like, that's a lot on my little cervix. Yeah, it's going to be a terrible day. Um, it's going to be horrible. Nothing and to be scared of. Just well, know I'm that like, do I go and take pain. an edible before I go? No, I wouldn't. I I would. I try would like to, to get take like prescription a, pain meds. Yeah, or like a muscle relaxer. Yeah, I don't think an edible is going to do it. I would just feel extra scared. <laughs> that, but maybe it works different. But on here's you. the thing: is I was trying to call to get covered by my insurance, and I was of course calling my insurance, to be like, "Are you covered? Are you covered?" Because you know, you go to a doctor. And then afterwards, they're like, actually, it's $3,000. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. And I'm calling before, and I know I'm going to have to fight a bill mm-hmm. at some point. But what also was really hard was I, my insurance is, no brags, really shitty. And uh, I was trying to get go to a, a doctor to get a, you know, get a replacement, mm-hmm. um, get a, the tires rotated of my IUD. And uh, they had said, they were like, oh, we actually don't take one out unless we put it in. And I'm like, well, I, what does that do for me? Like, I can't go to the person who put it in because 10 years ago. Ten, they're dead. I mean, it's 10 years ago. <laughs> no, I love this kind of, if you're covered by Allegra Cummings, go see her. She's an incredible OBGYN in New York City. Cummings? She, really? Her name is Happy Cummings, Allegra Cummings. I can't speak highly enough about her. She's amazing. Incredible. She put it in. She's great. But she I, she doesn't take my insurance anymore. Good for her. She should go on to bigger and better things. <laughs> Me? I am not. I was on my mom's insurance. Whatever shout out happened another, to shout no out to cervix left behind. No cervix left behind. And it's just like calling the insurance. And everybody's like, we can't go into, you know, universal health care because of the wait times. I'm like, the wait times are already astronomical. Mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. I answer the phone. They're like, yeah, we can help you. <sighs> what a gift. Can't wait to see them. Love them. Can't wait to see them. I also can't wait to like, like take my insurance. Yeah. Charge me a bunch so you can like bill my insurance, please. We Yeah. That's how yeah, I feel. The worst. Well, if you have any extra in your wallet, give it to us. But then if you have more, <laughs> give it to Planned Parenthood. <laughs> Leah M., I feel like $10 a month. 
you've got you must be rich <laughs> give some money to Planned Parenthood Leah <laughs> that's horrible we're just like taking anyway well okay moral of the story everybody go get your yearlies go get your annuals yeah. you know go get a mammogram go get a pap smear and if you know how to take um an IUD out or have one lying around that you Let can me put know. in give carry it give all. me a, give me a shout give me a shout I like a copper I like a non-hormonal yeah. you know mm-hmm. Let's go. Let's go for it. Okay. So I guess it's my turn to tell a story. Oh, that wasn't your story? That, well, was yours yours? Was yours was yours? yours? We don't know. My recording stopped. Hold on. Oh, my God. Why is it don't you? What is happening? Oh, no. It's fine. I don't know. What number are you on? Doesn't is, matter. No, just tell me. 20? I'll never tell. 50. 20. 627 beat 4. <laughs> 629 beat 30 beat 3. Where 630. 632 633 635 um, that's kind of been in the news lately. It's an old story, but um, I will tie it into where it's we've been currently seeing it. But I'm doing the story of the Hollywood Ripper. Okay. I got it from Wikipedia, AP News, E! News, USA Today, CBS, BBC News. Um, so I'm going to start back in um, 1993. Mm-hmm. I'm going to introduce you to Trisha <sighs> Pachacchio. Pacaccio. How do I say her name? One because it's a one. Okay, two C's is a k, and one C is a ch. Right in Italian, you studied in Italy. This is a question for you. Two C's is a ch. One C is a k. I think so. Let me see. Yeah, two C's is a ch. Okay, thank you. So this story is going to start with Trisha Picaccio. She is 18 years old, and she's from Glenview, Illinois, which is not far from where I live. Um, she's a recent high school you graduate. You live in Brooklyn, but go on. Well, okay. Well, I'm from. Relax. <laughs> We're okay, all in the Illinois. U.S. Totally. We're all in the U.S. I mean, what? <laughs> K.K. Quinn, I don't know who you are. You call me K.K. all the time. I do, and I call K.K. Quinn all the time. We both are going to get together and talk shit about it. Quinn, I just assume everybody's talking shit about me all the time. So this is not news to me. In fact, knowing it would probably make me feel better because at least I would know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So she's living from where I'm from in Glenville, Illinois. Koa is really stoked to be home. Okay. She is a recent high school graduate and she is going to start at Purdue in the fall. I went to Indiana, which is Purdue's nemesis. So I feel like a lot in common, me and Trish. On On August 14th, 1993, her dad walks outside of their home, and on the back doorsteps, he finds every dad's worst nightmare. He sees his daughter, Trisha, dead from stab wounds all over her body, in her neck, in her shoulders, and in her chest, and she is dead. This is 1993. Okay. They have no suspects. They don't know who this is. They're just... It is... A case closed. It is a cold case. Okay. We don't have any information. I'm going to flash forward to 2021. What? I'm sorry. I'm going to flash forward to 2001. I'm going to introduce you to Ashley Ellerin. Okay. This name might sound familiar. She is 22 years old. She is a fashion design student at FIDM in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. She part time works as a stripper in Vegas. 
It is February 21st, 2001. She has plans that night. She's going to go on a date with um, someone. She, he's an up-and-coming actor by the name of Ashton Kutcher. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That Ashton Kutcher. You've heard of him? Heard. Um, he had just started starring in that 70s show. So he's sort of like, you know, a new this young star. This is pre-Demi? This is pre-Demi. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, the two of them, they met through some friends. And I guess she had a party the weekend before. They reconnected. Um, and, you know... They were going to go out. They've mm-hmm. gone out a couple of times. They were going to go out tonight. Her plan was to meet him for um, an after party for the Grammys that night. I guess from what I understand or what I read is that at this time she had a lot of boyfriends, which is to say I think she was like going out a lot. She was very social. She was beautiful. A lot of people liked liked hanging out with her. So the plan was that Ashton was going to pick her up at 8 o'clock in the evening, um, but a friend called him and invited him to his house to watch the actual Grammys. Um, so he called her at 7.30 that evening to let her know it was change of plans. I'm not going to be there at 8. I'm going to be there later. He leaves her a voicemail. She calls him back on her roommate's phone, her roommate Jen, because the house phone wasn't working. This is in the early 2000s. It's the land of land, It's the time of landlines. Um, the land before lines. Land before lines. And uh, he speaks to her at 8.24 to confirm his plans. He says mm-hmm. he's going to come by later. At this point, she tells him, hey, I just got out of the shower. I need to dry my hair and get ready. So he's running late, and it's around 10 o'clock in the evening. And I mean, pretty darn late. Yeah, I was um, going to say, Jesus. Kind of rude. Just cancel Just cancel. Point. It's like, like, are you standing I don't want to go out with up? you after 10. Exactly. Well, Grammy's after party, but also like you had oh, plans to pick Grammy's her up early. Grammy's after party. I guess I would be like, Yeah, but like he should have picked her up fun. before, you know, whatever. Yeah. So... It's 10 o'clock and he calls or he picks up the phone and he's like, hey, I'm on my way. But no one picks up. No one answers the phone. So he just goes over to the house. He's there um, at 1045. Ashton. Ashton, do better. Um, He's there at 1045. And again, he has not spoken to her since 824. Um, He figures she's she's mad at him for being late. You know, I would be too. Um, But he gets to the front door. He rings the doorbell. She does not answer. He tries the doorknob. The front door is locked. He looks in and he sees in the front door, it looks like there's some like red wine stains on the carpet. Girl, that's blood. It's blood. Um, He sees her car in the driveway. He just assumes that she's mad at him for being late and she's ignoring him. He knocks, he calls, he leaves. The next morning on February 22nd, 2001, she is found dead in her apartment by her roommate just outside the entrance of the bathroom. She has been stabbed 47 times. So, so the roommate was out the roommate and was came out. home upon this. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Um, she was just outside the bathroom and there was a blow dryer on the toilet, which if you remember when she had told Ashton, she just good. got out of the shower and she needs to dry her hair. So we can time this out. That like between hair twenty-four, the between the last oh time Ashton God. talked to her and when he came to the scene at 1045, uh-huh. someone was there. That's our window. That's our window. Okay. Um, the injuries to her body were extensive. Mm-hmm. Her head was nearly severed. Holy shit. Which, by the way, I'm so sorry to be delayed. We are going to be talking about murder. Here's a here's an after the fact trigger for I'm you. I'm so sorry. We did get that note. And if we could just put this up, maybe I'll just do this and we can cut and paste earlier. If the we is me, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I've done it before and I'll do it again. Um, just this story that I'm going to tell involves gruesome scenes of death. And so if that's something that makes you squeamish, please move on. 
Um, and it's gruesome. So, um, yes. Okay, moving on. She had deep wounds in her chest, in her stomach, and her back. The wounds went as far as six inches deep. Twelve of the wounds of the stabbings were considered fatal. Um, and there were also, they found defensive wounds on her hands and her forearm. So she fought. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to flash forward four more years um, to 32-year-old Maria Bruno. She is the mother of four. She is living in El Monte, which is east of L.A. Um, she's recently been separated from her husband. On December 1st, 2005, her ex-husband came to her apartment and he discovered her dead. She was stabbed 17 times. What's really noteworthy about this, and this is very, very gruesome, was that her breasts were cut off and her implants were removed. And I read that one of her nipples was placed over her mouth. Oh, my God. So this person is really not just a serial killer. They're like certifiably. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, at this point, and I know I'm presenting this case in these three these three isolated incidents, and I'm sure you can surmise that they are going to be tied to the same person. But at this point in the investigation, it'd be so weird if you ended the story by being like, "And these were three different <laughs> murders." I just couldn't decide which to tell you about today. But what's but what I think is important to know at this time, it's like yeah. we have the earliest incident is 1993. 93. We have 2001. 2001. We have 2005. These are so spread out. So it's an spread eight out. Year and then a four more years. I mean, that's. That is so really spread out wild. and there's no suspects. Of course, they're like interviewing yeah. people like the ex-husband of Maria's gets interviewed. And do you happen to know if at this point when this third victim is found or for that matter, when the second was obviously later on, we're going to find out they're tied together. But at mm-hmm. the time, do you know if the police suspected? No. Not at all. They no didn't. They didn't expect tie. these. No. I mean, okay. they're so spread out. Like one. Yeah, of course. Glenview in Illinois you to never Los be Angeles. Like, this is like that murder that happened eight years ago. But I think also, like, I mean, the stabbings, they both, they all, all three that tie them together, they all were victims of stabbings. Mm-hmm. But again, like, this sort of, the way that Maria's body was found feels so different based on what I had read or what was revealed about the crime scenes. Maria's body mutilation and posing, mm-hmm. that was not depicted in the two previous right. murders. Right. You know? Yeah. And that feels different. Um, but also, like, you have an Illinois, you have a Los Angeles, eight years apart. And where's this third one? This is just east of L.A. This is in El Monte. Okay. But it's in the, you know, California, L.A. region. Um, they did find at the scene of her crime a surgical booty with her blood outside her door. We're going to flash forward three more years. On April 28th, 2008, 26-year-old Michelle Murphy, she's living in her house in Santa Monica. And she went to bed that night. She was asleep for about an hour. A man climbs through an open window in her living room. She's asleep and suddenly she is being attacked. The attacker has a knife. She's able to grab the knife by both hands <gasps> and she kicks him off of her. Oh my God. Um, the attacker's wrist was cut in the scuffle and he runs away. We've got um, DNA. Some of his blood ends up getting on her bedspread. Um, and he runs back out of the window and he goes through the alley in the back and she hears him say, I'm sorry, as he <laughs> runs away. 
Well, forgiven, sir. I mean, if you said sorry and meant, I mean, did he mean it? You know? (laughs) What the fuck, dude? I'm sorry. sorry, sorry. No, you're sorry you got caught. That is quite literally the definition of just sorry you got caught. Well, maybe he was apologizing to himself. Maybe. But he has cuts in his wrist, not deep enough for my liking. Um, So she gets up, she locks her door, she closes her window, and she calls her boyfriend at the time. Yeah. um, Who's now her husband. And he calls the police. Um, she needs stitches in her hand. She needs surgery on her hand. She never spends another night in that apartment again. No. But from this attack, we are able to get the DNA of this man. And his name is Michael Gargi. I don't know how to say it. Gargilo. His name is Michael Gargilo. Wow. A little bit about Michael Gargilo. Um he is from Glenview, Illinois. Wait, can we just pause to say she's the snitch that got the stitch is? Well, she got the stitches and then she snitched. I love her. I love her. I love she her. I'm so sad. I mean, the PTSD that she has yeah. is, is never going to leave. No. Like she talks about like how she struggles to this day. I mean, I can't imagine... I can't imagine the pain she feels. Never feel safe. And of course, she's going to eventually meet the women, the women's families <sighs> who didn't survive. And like what survivor's guilt, like this poor woman. And because of her, this guy is away. But my heart breaks for this poor woman. But I'm so glad she was able to to get him off of her yeah. because because of her, he's he's in jail. Yeah. Um. So a little bit about Michael Gargilo. He is from Glenview, Illinois, um, which if you remember, that's where Trisha was murdered. Um, he was actually friends with Trisha's younger brother. Um, and the DNA under her nails ends up matching Gargilo's. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually knew that. They had his DNA in 2003. But they couldn't build a larger case around him mm-hmm. because they said it could have come from casual contact. Because they knew each other. Because they knew each other or they were around each other. So all that being said, this crime, when he killed, which he has been charged and convicted of. No, he hasn't yet, actually. Sorry. When he supposedly, sorry, let's just go for it. When he killed Trisha, this was in 93. He ended up moving to LA in 1998 and people believe it was to escape the police scrutiny. Maybe the police knew of him. Maybe Mm -hmm. they had an idea. But in 2003, they were able to get... DNA um, that matches his Mm -hmm. and I don't think they had enough to extradite him back to the pet to Illinois and Mm -hmm. I think they probably were just waiting on him but they just didn't have enough case to build around him which her family is quite rightly Mm -hmm. pretty pissed off about at this point yeah um while he was in LA he's an aspiring actor because you're in LA he also is an air conditioner and heater repairman and a bouncer so this is sort of allowing him to get access to people's homes, yeah. right? Um, was he a bouncer at a club that the girl worked at? No, they oh. ended up, well, I'll get into how Sorry. they met. No, you're totally fine. Um, so just to be clear, he attacked Michelle Murphy April 28th, 2006. He was arrested um, on June 6th, 2008 mm-hmm. um, and charged with two murders. He's charged about two years after his attack on Michelle Murphy. And which, by the way, again, I just have to say with Michelle as a survivor, 
she's had to live two years not knowing her attacker has been arrested. You know, like we now know that the DNA matches, but that means that she had two years Mm -hmm. where she had no idea who her attacker was. And just the fear of that, I can't even, I can't underestimate. Um, So how he met her, they actually lived, I just to go, we'll go back in time, but just to short, Michelle Murphy, he lived in Santa Monica at the time of her attack and he actually shared an alley with her. Mm-hmm. which makes sense to remember because he escaped through that back alley and they would say hi to each other from time to time when they were outside. Oh. So she had direct contact with him. Obviously we know how he knew Trisha, his first victim. Um, he knew her younger brother. Mm-hmm. They lived in the same area. He police or sources believe he met Ashley Ellerin um, when he lived near her home in 2000 he apparently approached her and a friend and gave them his business card for air conditioning repairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, uh, allegedly, he fixed, I think he, it's proven, but this is what I, at one point from what I read, he fixed Ashley's heater. And at one point, he lived down the block from her. And apparently, he would show up uninvited at her house. And multiple times, he was spotted sitting outside of her house in his car, parked outside. Okay. So this guy clearly has, like, he finds someone and Obsesses stalks them. And stalks and, yeah. And... Maria Bruno, um, the mother of four, she also at this point, when she was attacked, she when she was killed, she lived near him. Um, and what they can, they can see from where his apartment was to where her apartment was at the time is that from his window, he could see into her place. He could see her front door, both the living room and the kitchen window. And that booty that they found outside of her crime scene was a match to his DNA. And those booties are actually ones that he would wear as a air conditioning and heater repair man. Um, They found the same booties in his attic. But they were found outside of her apartment complex. So it wasn't found at the actual scene of the crime, but right outside it. Mm -hmm. They did a 48 hours special So two witnesses come forward in regards to Trisha's death, Trisha's murder. They they alleged that he told them that he had stabbed someone. He told one witness that he had stabbed someone. He told another witness that he had buried a body. And then he said, I'm only kidding. I actually let the bitch on the stairs for her dad. So those two come forward and that's enough information where they can now add a charge. So at this point, he has not been charged for Trisha's murder. Mm -hmm. He only on June 6, 2008, he was just charged for Maria's and for Ashley's murder. And on July 7th, 2011, he was charged with first degree murder of Trisha Picaccio. Wow. So at this point, because two of the murders and one alleged murder or one Mm -hmm. attempted murder are all in California, he's going to be withstanding trial for those two plus the attempted murder in Uh L.A. or in California. Mm -hmm. And so he actually, from what I understand, he has not been charged, he has not been extradited to Illinois Mm. to be charged for Trisha's murder yet. Wow. To this this day. this is so recent. Yeah, because he was, what's crazy is he was arrested in 2008 Mm -hmm. for these two murders and one attempted murder. That is a long time ago. And then the second, the third murder was added to his charge in 2011. 
So when he was in jail and he was being interviewed by authorities, he said, just because 10 women were killed and my DNA was present doesn't mean I murdered anyone. And it's like, dude, you were just charged with three. Are there more? Yeah. So I would think so. I would imagine, but they don't have any more. The media at this point has labeled him the Hollywood Ripper, the chiller killer, the boy next door killer, because he lived near all of his victims. He stalked them and attacked them all in their own home. Again, he was arrested in 2008. Mm -hmm. He was finally tried for the California murders on May 2nd, 2019. That is, that feels, that's 11 years later. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I don't know why, because aren't, I I don't know. Um, Anyway, Ashton Kutcher was at the trial. He testified Mm -hmm. um, against him. but the key witness, obviously, in this trial to get him indicted on these murders was the survivor, Michelle Murphy, mm-hmm. who without her fighting him off, we wouldn't have his DNA. We wouldn't have like a lot of his MO mm-hmm. in that respect, right? Um, because he left a trail of blood behind him, who knows when he would have gotten caught. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, she says, spending the night alone creates a world of fear in me. Yeah. So her life is is a really uphill struggle at this point. At the trial, he, Michael Gargilo claims he is innocent mm-hmm. the entire time. He denies it all. Mm-hmm. He never admits to any wrongdoing. I think even the, I mean, he, I think he does admit to Michelle Murphy because he can't really not admit. I mean, he was there. Mm-hmm. She has his DNA all over the blood. She was attacked. Um, but his lawyer his lawyer told jurors that there were possible other suspects that weren't investigated, including one of Ashley's boyfriends who was in her house. And then when she got a call from Ashton Kutcher about this date, he got mad and he could have killed her. He could have gotten violent. And apparently a neighbor at the time, a witness, was passing Ashley's house on the way to a dog park and said that she heard two screams coming from Ashley's home at about 830 in the evening, which was just around the time of Ashton Kutcher's call, 824. Mm -hmm. So that could, like, again, that could connect, or that could be a possibility that something, somebody else was there, or it could be the fact that he was there at 830 and he killed her, which is the easiest explanation. What is important to note that I saw was that there was no physical evidence connecting him to that crime scene, which I thought was interesting. There was no physical evidence. They didn't find his DNA. Mm-mm. Nothing. At, Ashley, at the crime scene, at Ashley's crime scene. Wow. That is interesting. So on August 15th, 2009, he was convicted on all accounts of, including two counts of first degree murder, um, as well as for attempted murder of um, Michelle Murphy. He His sentencing at this point, he was either going to get life in prison or the death penalty. Um, and... At his sentencing, he complained that his lawyers didn't let him take the stand in his own defense. And because of the pandemic, his sentencing was delayed until 2021, until 2021. And he was sentenced to the death penalty. Oh, wow. In California, which is no one's been executed in California since 2006. And Gavin Newsom, who is the governor, has committed to not. You know, I, I don't think people I don't think they're going to continue executions in California. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got the maximum sentence, which is, which is the death penalty. Um, he is expected to be extradited to Illinois to be charged with the 1993 killing of Trisha. 
um, but he has not yet. He is um, he is currently in San Quentin State Prison, mm-hmm. um, serving his sentence. And the reason I wanted to tell this story is because Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis have been in the news recently. I'm sure you've seen this. Yeah. Um, where they wrote a letter in support of convicted rapist Danny Masterson. Yeah. Um, and when the fallout of this note came out, one of Danny Masterson's victims came forward on Instagram and made a post that I want to read to you. Oh, let's hear it. It says, Dear Ashton, her name is Chrissy Carnell Bixler, and she is one of three women who accused Masterson of rape. She writes on Instagram, Dear Ashton, I know the secrets your, quote, role model keeps for you, ones that would end you. Did you forget I was there? You were on speakerphone that night. You called Danny on February 21st, 2001. I heard everything. I heard the plan. In my opinion, you are just as sick as your mentor. February, 20, February 21st, 2001 was the night that Ashley was murdered. Are you saying Ashton Kutcher murdered her? No, I, I don't believe that to be the case, but here is what, and none of this is substantiated. None of this has been proven to be true, but the reason I wanted Who's to- the mentor? Well, Danny. Danny is. Yeah, convicted rapist, Danny Masterson. Um, so here's what this woman claims happened. She claims that Ashton Kutcher called her at 824, showed up at 1045, but when he was there, he was able to get into the apartment and he saw her dead. Uh-huh. And instead of calling the police, finding her body right away, she believes what happened is that he called his team first and Masterson to come up with a plan. So instead of him finding it, because he was worried, I mean, he had said when he first talked to the police, because obviously they questioned him right away Mm -hmm. because of her, you know, who she was in contact with. Of course, he was going to be, you know, someone they would interview. He was really worried because his hands were on the doorknob. So he was worried he was going to get, right, you know, but. So the yucky thing is not a murder. Mm -hmm. It's how he handled it and that he he called his team. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Again, there's no concrete evidence to support this, but um, like I, you know, I again, I think when I first started, I was like, are they accusing him of murder? So I had to sort of investigate this crime, or I had to sort of look up this crime and see what was mm-hmm. going on. Obviously, the person who is behind bars is guilty of murder. Um, I, if you remember, I do say his DNA was not anywhere at Ashley's crime scene, mm-hmm. which I do think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, she did have contact with him, and I do think like he seemed to, and he was stalking her outside of her house a couple of times. People noticed, um, which would lead me to believe that he is probable um, mm-hmm. to have been involved in her murder because of what he did before and after, and the other victims he claimed. Um, it does, you know, if Ashton Kutcher worried about himself, called his people, called his manager, called, you know came up with a plan of how he came upon this murder. That's what fame does to you. That's what fame. turns you into a non-human. Yeah. And this is right at the beginning of his career. But I, I, you know, obviously the most important people in this story are Trisha, Picaccio, Ashley Ellerin, Maria Bruno, and Michelle Murphy, because they were victims at this horrible guy's hand. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm so glad that he's no longer on the streets because what a scary guy. That is, um, 
but I had to tell the story of the Hollywood Ripper. Wow, that's a crazy story. I never heard it. The celebrity connection stuff is very weird and off-putting, and especially given everything that's gone on with... How do you... I mean, we can cut this, but I'm so curious. How do you feel about the the letter letter of support? Okay, well, from an obvious standpoint, I just think, like, first of all... if you do are you, you got, dumb if, if a are friend of mine if a friend of mine got accused of something i totally get wanting to go mm-hmm. you don't know the whole story they're a good person but the whole thing is like well we could say that to you too you don't know the whole story they're also a bad person mm-hmm. nobody's good or bad it's and the idea that you could say i think this person is really kind and smart and special and loyal in the face of them being accused of rape is like, yes, but don't you get that that doesn't matter? I also think just like from like a my perspective of the whole thing is you guys are public f- figures. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're publicists. Like, you thought this was a good idea. You didn't think there was going to be backlash. Like, to me, that like what's crazy about the letter is it didn't say the people he hurt. I feel mm-hmm. like it didn't acknowledge the p- the hurt that he caused the hurt parties yeah um and that i think is where they could have where it's like the person i knew is not that it makes me so sad that this exists like because it was in the sentencing it wasn't in defense yeah, like, of them yeah i know it's so stupid and it, the way that they the how effusively they spoke of him mm-hmm. was gross extreme how how like he's the only person i would trust around my daughter that felt like guys why'd you bring up your kid in here if your kid told like come on what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? I'm going to tell you a story um, that I got the information from CBS News, WDHN, and mainly a really good Wall Street Journal article by Michael M. Phillips that was really, really great. Um, we're going to start with one of our main characters, Jimmy Lee Dykes, who is a Vietnam veteran um dude lives in alabama and he does things like he's um a truck driver he also does land surveying and like helps clear i don't know land (laughs) quinn yeah i'm right there with you all right great sure um he clears land does he have a family does he have a family kind of he has an ex-wife he has two daughters they're not in his life really like he's not around them Um, i would say he has a family he has a family (laughs) But not at home. But also, he's not a, he, he has a family, but they don't want a lot to do with him. Truth. He, in fact, lives by himself in a trailer um, next to a peanut field. Do I want to, can I ask, do you want me to feel bad for him at this moment? Or can I feel like he does, he has it coming? No, I, I don't want you to feel one way or another. I'm just going to, I mean, because I didn't necessarily reading these facts feel one way or another. I think, I think he made his bet. It didn't sound like he was a good husband or a good dad. It, okay. But it it didn't go into that on a level where you're like, oh, he's a really bad guy. You were just like, mm, I think this guy like didn't deserve his family. Okay. Cool. Um, but I think he's lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he feels angry yeah. at the world for like maybe not taking care of their veterans. I'm making that up. I don't think he said that exact thing, but I do know him to be an angry person who spends his time on his land shooting grasshoppers with a pellet gun, which it seems like a weird hobby. It um, is a weird hobby. And 
he's like a grouch. He's like the neighborhood grouch. He talks about like, oh, if a dog is like going to be near my property, I'm going to put like antifreeze um, on stuff that they would eat. Like I'm going to kill the dogs basically. So like the neighbors are like, this okay. guy's I don't off. feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't have like a lot of pals. Um, And like one of his neighbors is nice enough to hang out with him sometimes, which is to say not hang out with him, but like he's like, will you drive me to Walmart? Um, And then they are in the car and he'll just like talk about how there's a new gun law that he thinks is bullshit and he's like angry about it. He's, are you getting like a picture? I'm getting a full picture. Yeah. Yeah. So like, no, you don't feel don't, sorry for that guy. No, no. You're just kind of like you. the face you're making, the like slight disgust. That's sort of like that's the it. face. That's I just want to know if I'm like, oh, poor guy. I just wanted to know because at first I was like, he doesn't have a family, but they don't want to be in touch with him. Like, what's going on? It seems like he's made his bed. He's lying in it. Yeah. And okay. he's like. Not, not he's not causing people major red flag alarm bells, but like there is this neighbor that I told you about, Mr. Creel, who he'll be like, oh, people would listen to me if I had like hostages. And he's like, Mr. Creel is like, well, this guy's like, I, I don't think people sp- would listen to you if you had hostages. I think they would think you were like a violent person. And this guy's got to get his own car because he's off. He's asking for favors from his neighbors. And then yeah. he's like. Oh, Talk he asked for a really big favor from oh, Creel, shit. but I'll get there in a minute. Um, every time I say Mr. Creel, for the record, I always picture Creed from The Office. <laughs> it's like just who I picture. You know, when you do that, you're yeah. just like, that's who this is in the story in my head. Um, so he's not like, um, he doesn't have a dense, scary criminal record, but he definitely has a benign one that involves like drunk driving and... Yeah. Uh, well, it said assault and larceny, so I guess that's not very benign. That's not that chill. But I don't know any details about that. I do know, though, that he strikes me as similar to the guy that poisoned, the Coca-Cola poisonings, mm-hmm. in the sense that he is like an angry as neighbor. Pod, as a lifetime podcast. He, yes, he like spends his time being pissed off, and, and that's his hobby, is being pissed off. So he gets pissed at... Um, a neighbor driving a sports car and he builds an illegal speed bump. And that's ends up being a, um, a a big deal where they come to confront him. Like the police get called and he has a gun. And so they're like, oh, you're brandishing a firearm. This is a, a misdemeanor. Like you're going to have to go to court to face this charge. He also had a fight with a neighbor where, like, the cops got called and he was picking pecans off the ground, saying that they were his, even though it was a neighbor's tree because of where the pecans landed. He does just sound, like, very difficult to live near. I don't recommend it. Yeah, no. I also don't want anyone shooting pellets at grasshopper. Like, what that? Like, crickets. What a weirdo. I know. So, well, what a weirdo. So then he's like, hello, Mr. Creel, my neighbor. Will you help me? Um, I just need this favor which is to help me dig a bunker on my land and that for me I'm like hmm but it is it's like Alabama and he's like this is a weather thing for hurricanes and I'm gonna build this bunker um although while they're building it he does this thing where he's like get inside the bunker and yell I want to see if I can hear you okay okay and then Mr. Creel is thinking He's trying to make sure it's safe where if he got stuck in there, someone could hear him. But he's like, well, then why is he so happy that he can't hear me? You know, it's like the opposite reaction. Oh, God. Right? I'm not into it. Not into this. So remember the um, speed bump shenanigans? Mm-hmm. He has to go to court, like I said, for that January 28, 
2013 as two days before he's supposed to arrive in court. And on this day, he hatches a pretty crazy scheme or he's in the midst of it. Okay, it's afternoon. Kids are getting out of school. They hop into a school bus. The school bus is driven by Chuck Poland. Mr. Poland used to be an army helicopter mechanic. And then when he retired from that, he now is a bus driver. He's in his 60s. He's a grandfather now. And the bus has to back into a kind of like a a off-road thing to turn around. And the off-road thing is right next to Jimmy's land. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, even though I've told you what a shit neighbor he is, actually goes out there that day and clears it. There's a bunch of debris, I guess, in that area or or branches, something. And he, like, clears it so that it's going to be easier for the bus to turn around. Mm -hmm. It's a nicety. And they chat briefly, Chuck and Jimmy. And it's weird because the bus records things. So we, we've we like, there's a recording of this conversation that I listened to um, through the Wall Street Journal article. And they're just like friendly chatting. And Jimmy's like, do you like carrots and broccoli to Chuck? And Chuck's like, well, I like broccoli. And he's like, all right, I'm gonna bring you some tomorrow then. And Chuck's like, great. Chuck is uh, a really good guy. He likes his job. He takes his job seriously. He has video on the bus, all buses do, and he'll review the tapes at night because, like, he can't keep a good eye on the kids and he wants to know, like, which ones are troublesome and stuff so that when he's on the bus driving, he can keep his eye on the road, his focus on the road, but he'll still kind of have an eye out slash an ear out for, like... He reviews all that... I mean, it's sweet, but also that sounds like a lot of time. Yeah, but I just think it's sweet, like, when people take jobs like that really seriously. That's nice. Doesn't really know that guy, Jimmy, but was like, that was really nice. And he was like, I wonder why he did that, like, cleared the... He he seems like a a lonely guy, maybe a guy that was just looking to have a... And was like, can I bring you vegetables? Like, it's just like... So the next day when he goes to work, he's like... I'm going to bring him something. So he brings um, in the morning, he goes by Jimmy's truck and it's open and he sets inside the truck a carton of fresh eggs and some homemade jelly. And he leaves a note that says, I am Chuck Poland, the school bus driver. Sorry, I missed you. Left you some eggs and muscadine jelly on front seat of van for you. See you later. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then that afternoon when he has to turn around. Yeah. There's Jimmy. And he parks and Jimmy gets out and has a big bag of broccoli. And he gets on the bus and Chuck opens the school bus door and Jimmy steps on with the broccoli and also with a gun. Oh, fuck. Yes. And he hands Chuck a note. And this is what the note says. I have a story to tell. I need two hostages to force the powers that be to listen. You will choose two smart, well-mannered, good kids, age 6 to 10, preferably boys, with no physical, mental, medical problems. You will connect them at the wrists with this tie, bring them forward, and they will leave the bus. You will immediately drive down the road and call the law. No harm will come to these kids. When the story is finished, they will go free, and I will die. Do exactly as I say. Please do not make any wrong moves. I do not want to shoot you. I do not want to traumatize the kids any more than absolutely necessary. Now get this done as soon as possible. My cell is, and then he puts in his cell phone, my name is Jim Dykes. Take a deep breath. You can do this. Again, do not mess this up and no one will be harmed. P.S. Thanks, Chuck. I am extremely sorry, but I have to do this. 
please don't make me do something I don't want to do. Don't ask me anything. Don't tell me anything. Just do it quickly. And again, we have the audio from Chuck receiving this note and basically saying, I, I, I can't. Like, no. And then they have like quite the back and forth where Jimmy is saying, I need you to do this. I don't want to have to shoot you. And Chuck's like, I am charged with watching these children. It is my job to watch these. It's my job to protect them. They're in my care right now. I can't do what you're asking me to do. there's kids on the bus right now. Yeah, the bus is filled with kids. Oh, my God. And he's like, I cannot do this. While this is going on and they're having a back and forth, a 16-year-old named Trey is hiding behind a seat in the back of the bus calling the police and explaining. So we also have the audio from the 911 call and him saying, like, this is what's going on. There's a man on the bus. He has a gun. And this woman being like, stay calm. Can you see what he looks like? And he's like, no. And she's like, you're too scared to stand up and look at him. He's like, yeah. And all the while, like, this kid is like, there's a guy on the bus trying to take kids. Like, they know these kids are hearing the conversation. They understand what's happening. And... Jimmy is like calling out kids on the bus where he's like, you in the red shirt, come up here. No fucking way. None of the kids are moving. These kids are not walking up to this guy. They're just like hiding when he says anything to them, of course. And he realizes there's a kid right next to him, like at the front of the bus that he can essentially grab. And it's a five-year-old named Ethan Gilman. And he's actually sitting up there because he has – he's like a – dealt with a lot. He's been like in and out of foster care because his mom um, has all these problems, can't get her act together. Oh. He, She says he's autistic. And so he sits up there. He's young as yeah. well. And he just started riding the bus a couple of weeks ago. It's like the school year just started. So it's like this vibe of like... The young kids sit up front and the old yeah, kids Yeah, to back. be with yeah. Chuck, to be near Chuck. So he's kind of like, come here to the kid. And the kid's like scared out of his mind. And... Chuck is like, hey, you're really scaring him. Like, he, he doesn't want to go to you. He's scared. Um, and, oh, God. And I read in the Wall Street Journal, they were, like, describing Ethan. And they were like, he's scared of stairs. Like, he's a little, little kid. Like, the things that oh. scare him. And Chuck is getting in the way at this point of the plan, which is to say not only is he not cooperating, but he's, like, trying to do all the things the note tell him not to do, talk him out of this. Yeah. Dissuade him and time is ticking. And Jimmy is like saying that. He's like, you have to hurry. You have to listen to me. The law is going to be here. You have to hurry. And it's not working. And he's like, I really don't want to have to shoot you. And Chuck's like, you're going to have to shoot me. And he does. And he shoots Chuck five times. And you can hear it on the 911 call. All the kids are there. All the kids hear their bus driver who is protecting them get shot. The bus kind of like, I think maybe his foot's on the brake or something. It's not like the bus goes crazy, but it like goes into some brush um, because he's in the driver's seat and he doesn't have control of the vehicle because he's been shot. And How long the does kids this take? all How long scream. Does this altercation take? Minutes. Oh my God. Maybe like three minutes. No. I don't know. I don't recommend it, but there you can no, I mean there's no. video on the art linked on the article I did watch it oh it's Quinn. so disturbing because also like to see all the kids in distress oh my god where they're so scared you don't you can't see because of where the camera is you cannot actually see 
Chuck get shot, you can't see Chuck and Jimmy at all. You can just see the kids behind them oh on the my bus. God. So it's you can hear the audio of them. It's so disturbing. Um, so he's on the phone. Trey's on the phone with nine one one, and he's like, "They just shot the man. Shot our bus driver." And meanwhile, Jimmy grabs Ethan and like leaves. All the kids scream, go to the windows. They're terrified. They run. They run up. They realize their bus driver is dead. They run. He's dead. He died. Yeah, Chuck died. Um, for those kids and and Jimmy is right next to his house. So he takes Ethan to the bunker, and they go down to the bunker and. This kid who's afraid of stairs, who's just was sitting. Well, the other thing is, remember that he was like, "Give me the easiest two kids." Ethan Ethan has been raised in like a home where his mom is losing custody all the time because of drugs and alcohol. He's got behavioral stuff, um, and he's on a lot of drugs for his behavioral stuff. Yeah, and he's the opposite of the right hostage for Jimmy. Not that there's such a thing. as soon as they're in the bunker, Jimmy calls 911 and he says, I have a hostage. I shot this bus driver. He seems to be reliving the shooting a lot where he's like, I didn't want to do it. I had to do it, but I really didn't want to do it. And they're like, where are you? And he's like, come to my property and I've set up a PVC pipe to talk to talk through. Wow. They come and he says through the PVC pipe, if you storm this bunker, there's going to be like a loud boom insinuating that he he's going to blow it up. Um, and he's like, did the bus driver live? And they're like, we don't know because he didn't. But they're like, don't know what will set this guy off. So they're sort of like doing things that might instill hope or something. Well, to negotiate, because if he if he if he knows he killed him, he's he's going to jail. There's no. Right. Oh my God. I mean, of course, he's going to jail no matter what. But oh, my God. So SWAT teams arrive, FBI arrives, and it is now five and a half hours after Ethan's been taken. It's nine at night, and they've been talking to Jimmy, and he's like, we'll talk more tomorrow. I'm done for the night. So oh my God. they're like, okay, we have this night where this guy's not talking to us. We have to, like, scope everything out. And while he's sleeping, they find a way to look inside the PVC pipe they're talking through, and they see that there is a bomb, like, in it, basically. So they're like, oh, he might blow us up talking to him. So we can't talk through this pipe. Like, that. this is a bad idea. They also, in that moment, are, like, looking around, and there's PVC pipes all over the property coming out of the ground, and they're a little like, are there bombs everywhere? Um, so they're like, we don't know what's going to happen. Go clear any of the nearby properties. So they're like clearing nearby properties, telling the neighbors they have to beat it, like just like clearing the area. They put a speaker in front of the pipe they're supposed to talk through. So they can be really far away from the pipe, but yeah. sound like they're at the pipe. Um, they fly in FBI critical incident response unit. And there's like all these people in that unit that can analyze um Jimmy's profile, try to come up with, like, who is this guy, right? Yeah. Because that's going to help them with the negotiations. Right. Everyone is on edge, and there's so many cooks in the kitchen, and there's this feeling of, like, this could be really dangerous because who's going to make what call? Yeah. And the sheriff of the town is like, I don't, like, know what to do. And the commander of the rescue team that comes in is like, I've never seen anything like this. So they're both like, we don't like, there's no, 
there, I think the issue is the bunker, right? In hostage situations, you can, there's windows. <laughs> there's like all these different ways you can, They're they totally don't know what, isolated. it's yeah. under the ground. They don't know what the makeup like. of this they bunker. Yeah. They don't understand like what they just he have to inside. listen to. It's he has so, so much crazy. power. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like no way to gain information, it feels like. Um, but they're like, you need to let us bring you stuff and pu- put it outside the bunker where you can grab it and bring it in because we need to get you this kid's medicine. And he agrees. And they want to drop off like stuff for Ethan to do, coloring books and stuff. They're just like, can we yeah. please give you some stuff for this kid? They're also like, we need to give you a phone because like this is too unreliable. And what about the weather? We're not going to be able to hear you. All this stuff because there's going to be like a storm. So what is great is when they put all this stuff outside the bunker, they can watch Jimmy get it. So they start to understand how the bunker at least opens and closes, which is like a hatch. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're like, okay, we see how that works. Somehow through the PVC pipe, they do get a camera into the bunker. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very small, and what they can see is very limited. They see that there's, like, a blue tarp hanging on the wall that, 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 like, shields a toilet, like, basically, like, a makeshift toilet area, and that there's a three-level bunk bed. Um, Jimmy tells them, here's my plan. I want to trade you, Ethan. I'll give you back this kid, but I want a female TV reporter, and I want her to be in the bunker with me, and I want her to, like broadcast me explaining all my ideas about why I'm so mad at the world, basically. And after I tell her and after I know it's like been shown to everybody in the world, I'm going to kill myself via, um, this is so weird. It's like he was going to put a plastic bag over his head and fill it with helium. And that he was like, and she has to be with me holding my hand when I die. (laughs) Like so specific, so crazy. And he's like, just so you know, my grievances, like the list is quite long. It will take um, a few days to explain my ideas on the air. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine they're like not too keen on this plan of like giving him another hostage and like what he wants. But like it's tricky. So they do this idea where they get an FBI agent that's a woman and have her pretend to be the reporter that's going to go in and talk to him. But he somehow sniffs it out as false. And then he just gets pissed. And they're now like, we're on the nice. And one of the guys that is talking to Jimmy, one of the only guys that will, because he now is pissed at the FBI for doing this, is Lieutenant Rafferty. And he talks to him eight, nine hours a day. And He's telling him a lot of his problems with the world, you know, gay marriage, loose dogs, um, gun laws, trucking laws. It's like he's just pissed the, at the world. The sick irony of him being like, I don't like all these gun laws where people, you know, it's like really limiting our second amendment. And then, he holds, and then he's killed he's someone. someone. He shot someone and he's holding a child hostage. I mean, it's so Like wild. cognitive dissonance is bananas. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. They're like, we could put gas in the bunker, but what if we end up accidentally killing them? We could drug food and send it in to try to knock him out, but what if he feeds the food to Ethan first to make sure it's okay? Yeah. They don't know what to do. Um, so they are able 
to by like looking at their footage they're like let's build a mock-up of the bunker and they build one above ground so that they can be like practicing Where's mr krill get him over there he's yeah been in there i think he does yeah he does he tells them they they do get him eventually and he's like i'll tell you everything i know about the geography of this thing um but it's like we're at day four here like this oh my time God, is that poor kid i know um and they do a thing where imagine there's stairs going down into the bunker like bar stairs like yeah, a ladder yeah yeah um it's tall it's above ground by like 12 feet the the ladder goes down 12 feet so you can't jump through because oh. if you jumped through like the impact would harm you so the idea is like how do we get down fast without climbing or jumping so they design like a bar imagine like you you have a bar like american ninja warrior like you're holding a bar and you jump holding the bar so it catches and then you let go yeah. so it brings you your full body length into the bunker and then you let go and you're down much faster than if climbing climb. down a ladder would be oh my so God. they're doing like american ninja warrior practicing like how fast could we get like a team of 3 in this bunker and they're like drilling that. They're also talking to Creel about how they go to Walmart and they go to Walmart and they're like, what did he buy? They figure out his buy list and they're like, okay, we can like figure out that he made a bomb and we think he made another bomb that's in the bunker with him in addition to the one in the pipe. And he could basically blow up the bunker at any point. So then they're making their own bombs. Oh my God. To make the same bomb as him, to be like, what would happen and like, setting off the bomb like basically they're like repeating his actions yes. just to get information yes to go backward on it they're talking to neighbors and they end up interviewing a woman who's on tv that's like he killed my dog probably antifreeze but like jimmy sees it so then he gets pissed so they're like we have to like be careful what we're putting on the news so then they go on the news and they deliberately in like a press conference are like thank you so much jimmy for taking such good care of our child they like call Ethan our child, like the town's child, but they're basically like thanking him because they're trying to, and everybody's like, you can see where people would be pissed where they're like, you're thanking this guy, but it's like, yes, we need him to be like docile. Like we can't have him riled up right wow. now. So they're like playing these public mind games. They find his kid, one of his daughters, and they're like, we need you to come talk to your dad. And she's like, I haven't talked to him in years. He used to beat my mom. We're not on good terms. But she ends up saying yes to it, and she has her own kids at this point. And when she leaves, she's like, I might not be coming back. Because in her head, she might be – she thinks that he might sw like swap, swap Ethan for her. Ugh, it's just like, ay, 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 ay. Then there's some drama. I mean, this last there's days and drama. days and days. I'm sorry. Well, then there's this other drama on day. Well, it's like day, I'm kidding, day I'm four. Kidding. Day four, go get the daughter. Day five, he's coming out to get his medicine delivery for Ethan and sees a SWAT guy pointing a gun at him and gets pissed and goes in and is like, you tell that guy he's going to be responsible for killing a kid. And so everyone's like blood pressure back through the roof. They're like, we oh have to keep him happy. God. Day six is a big shift where they start to panic. And in the sense that what has gone on up until this point is Jimmy has been on the phone with them, like I said, complaining about the world. And then Ethan will need something in the background and he'll be like, hang on, I have to go. And he'll go help Ethan. There is every indication that he is caring for Ethan in a specific way that makes them feel 
a certain amount of safety. And it shifts on day six, which is to say they would like hear Ethan crying or having a tantrum in the background and Jimmy would not respond. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is turning in a way that we don't like the way Jimmy's being around Ethan. Things have shifted. We have to fucking hurry. Oh, God. I also read this thing that, like, Ethan tells Jimmy at one point that he loves him. And Jimmy is, like, pissed about it. Like, he doesn't know what to do with that. And then they're like, we, he used to be worried about Ethan getting his meds at the right time. And now, like, when we bring up his meds, he's like, fuck his meds. Like, it's like, it's getting different. So then day seven, they see him rehearsing how to detonate the bomb on camera. And they're like, we have to get in there immediately. We have to. We have to go in. So they tell him, you're going to get to talk to your daughter. And he is like, I am so excited to talk to her. Hang on. Let me change my shirt. It's going to be on video. Like, um a video monitor. So he wants to like brush his hair and like get clean to talk to his daughter. And they make her rehearse with the agents and they pretend to be Jimmy and they like blow up at her and stuff and like act really mean suddenly to see how she's going to handle it. And it must have been so stressful for her as well to feel like a lot of this is resting on her. They don't tell her their plan, but no sooner do they have him come up toward the lidded door to like talk to her via this monitor system and as soon as he does they say like one word to each other and they break in so she's not prepared for it either but they detonate explosives that blow the top of the bunker like the entrance off and they run down and they their whole team of guys that they have on this rescue mission yeah are able to go into the bunker and it takes them like from hit the button blow it up get to the bunker get in it's like nine seconds wow and they use that bar i told you about the american ninja warrior bar they like go to do it trademarked well what happens is one guy grabs it and gets in and feels something catch underneath him and all the other guys are on top of him suddenly and they're not all the way down and then Jimmy starts to try to shoot and the guy's like I can't move I can't go anywhere and the guy's shooting at me and somehow they very quickly reverse the whole thing and they pull the guy out and he doesn't get shot like it's just like a miracle like a bullet like touched his clothes it's such a close call but they're like but now like Ethan's now they they got to keep going well, as soon as that happens, so they pull him out after he shot the gun. Then Jimmy detonates the fucking PVC pipe bomb. That goes off, blows up shit everywhere. But everyone's, again, totally okay. But there's now smoke everywhere. They can't see. And ev- this, again, it happens so fast that the people in charge of this mission look up to see their rescuers coming out of the bunker and without Ethan. And they're like, we oh, up. fuck. What the fuck? Oh, my God. And they're like, why did you get caught in there? And they get their dog, one of their rescue dogs, lower the dog in because they're trying to, like, not and harm We know Jimmy doesn't give a shit about a dog. It's not very nice. Um, but they're lowering this dog to see. Then the dog gets caught the same place the men do. <laughs> very upsetting, this image of them, like, lowering their dog. They're able to figure out that there's a net of, like, steel cables that he's woven that you can't <gasps> get past. So they use bolt cutters and shotguns to blast through it and they make a hole then they throw in something called they're like grenades but they're fake 
they do a big sound and I think they do like smoke, but it's too disorient. Yeah, disorient. Exactly. Oh my God, Ethan. They throw the grenades in and the man who led the first mission and got caught is like, let's fucking go. He, fast as lightning, is like, it has been four minutes since we blew the top off this thing. We're late. We are late for an important date, motherfuckers. And he doesn't even use the bar. He just jumps in. The 12 feet lands hard as fuck, falls. His gun falls out of his belt. Oh, my God. And rolls away. And he lunges his body forward thinking, maybe I'm going to knock into Jimmy and, like, disarm him in the dark, in the smoke. But when he lunges forward, the body he feels in front of him is Ethan. Ethan, And he wraps his arms around Ethan instantly, falls onto the ground, completely covering his body and holding him as tight as he can to him and just whispering to him, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Oh, And he's just like wrapped around this kid. Three agents right behind him have followed him into the hole. In th- within three seconds of him hitting the ground, they've all hit the ground. Like four people are in this bunker in under four seconds. They open fire on Jimmy. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's they a child pull there. Ethan. He's covering him. They pull him out of the bunker. They get him away from the bunker. And as they're running away and clearing him, he turns to the man saving him and says, what happened to that man? And they're like, you're not going to ever see him again. He's gone. You're never going to see him again. And he's like, okay. After the rescue, they put Ethan back with his mom. Again. Not a great situation. Not a great situation. Too unstable. He's been in and out of foster care. Poor guy. He goes to a grandma for a while. He goes and lives with his 18-year-old brother for a while who is totally overwhelmed because here's the thing. Ethan has, has all these behavioral issues and he's got PTSD now. He's been through so, so, so much. And having an 18-year-old take care of him doesn't make any sense. But this reverend in town, Brandon Turner and his wife, they they had once been a foster family for him. And they were like, we want him. And, and they called them and like, would you take Ethan? They're like, we would take him forever. And he gets placed with them permanently. Oh. And I read an interview with them when Ethan was 11, six years after this incident, and the mom says, when Ethan came to us, he was on a lot of medication three times a day. Now he takes two pills once in the morning. Yes, at first we had a few issues with him in school, but that was just Ethan needing to get settled in. He's been through a lot. Within a short period of time, he's adjusted, and he's like any other child. He is just like any other 11-year-old boy. He's happy, he's thriving in school, and enjoying life with his nine other adopted siblings crazy um but most importantly ethan is a loving child and he is a child who is loved that's what we want all of our children to know they're loved and then i read another when ethan is 16 and it says that he's like adjusted really well he's doing well in school um as for jimmy dykes his daughter didn't have enough money to bury her dad so he died in that altercation. He died in He that. was shot, and she keeps his ashes in the bedroom closet of her mobile home. And in Alabama, there is a piece of road that they've named Charles Poland Jr. Memorial Highway after Chuck Poland, yeah. the bus driver. And I did just want to say that 
this was like a roller coaster ride, obviously, and oh so my much God, happened. Quinn, that but, was I was on the edge of my seat. Well, that was so sad, so scary, crazy. One one thing I thought about though was why did the rescue work? Because it felt like it really was so close a call. And one of the reasons it worked, I think, is that you only had one kid in there to save. Because I think that imagine the level of difficulty if there had been two and they were in two separate places in the bunker. He was able to hold on to one. or And the reason that Jimmy only had one child in there was because of Chuck. And it yeah. all comes back to this entire rescue, I think, was only possible because of the actions of Chuck Poland. And yeah. he saved those kids. And he said no to Jimmy. And that his death saved those children and saved Ethan, I think. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, like, luck of the rescuers to just, like, fall and fall into Ethan. Like, mm-hmm. the luck, the, the sheer dumb luck. I just, like, oh, I wish Chuck just, like, pushed him. <laughs> I know. Pushed him. But he would, but honestly, Chuck, I'm sure, was doing a calculation that was like, if he starts shooting, one of these kids could get killed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that is, oh, what an insane story. Thank you for sharing it. That is wild. If this story was like interesting to, to anybody on a way, in the way that they want to know anything more about it, definitely go to the Wall Street Journal because it was, I've never seen such a well written article in the sense that it had. So many resources like audio, video, maps. It was just like they were like, here's what the bunker looked like, everything. And it was really well written. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That is wild. Um, We should get going because we have a Patreon. But also I do – I know it's – that was – we had a long app. That was an hour and a half. Well, I do want to say quickly – this is just for me later, but Gargulo, Gargilo, Gargulo – Gargulo. Gargulo. I don't know how to say that guy's name. Should I look it up? Does it matter? He's a murderer. He's a murderer. Fuck him. Fuck him. Okay. Well, dearest readers, we love you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.